Good morning, everyone. I invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15 this morning. Now, we continue this morning in our sermon series on the spiritual disciplines, which we are calling spiritual training. And the discipline that we come to this morning is the discipline of Christian giving. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, what we have is a situation in which the Apostle Paul has been sent out by the elders to gather a collection for the church in Judea because there has been an extreme poverty felt by the Christians in that region because of a famine that had come through. And so Paul was going to the different Gentile churches, getting a collection to bring back to the people in Judea, the Christians specifically. But the church in Corinth had made an initial dedication to this, and we see that in 1 Corinthians, but now in 2 Corinthians they're flagging behind a little bit in their giving that they had dedicated to. And so the Apostle Paul encourages them to give, not out of obligation, but to give based upon the work of Christ in their life. So hear now the word of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is a acceptable according to what a person has not according to what he does not have for i do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened but that as a matter of fairness your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness as it is written whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. 
Father God, we come to you now and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would do a mighty work among us by your spirit, that you would anoint the preaching of your word, that it might go forth in power and that your spirit might work on the hearts of your people. Lord, that by the power and the example of Christ, we might move, be moved towards generosity, giving, Lord, as you have called us. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. It was a conversation that changed my financial future. Throughout my growing up, I had heard about the importance of giving to the work of the Lord, but it wasn't until a close friend of mine, while I was in college, laid out the specifics of how and why Christians are to give. It was at that time I made the dedication, the determination to give to the Lord at least 10% of whatever money He might entrust to me. At the time, I was in college, so 10% of almost nothing really wasn't that big of a commitment. But while I was in seminary, it got a little bit more difficult. Graduate school doesn't come cheap. Once I graduated from seminary, had my first full-time call, it got a little bit more difficult. We then had kids, took on a mortgage, wanted to try to save. And when we moved to Lynchburg, the dedication I made back in college met its most, most difficult challenges. Not because there was a lack of money, but rather because more than ever there were increased financial responsibilities in my life. Somewhat against what we may think, the less money I made, the easier it was to give. I think back over the 18 years since that conversation I had in college, And I realized, if I had not followed his counsel, I would have a lot more money right now. (laughs) You see, there are times when you hear sermons about giving, and the motivation comes down to this. Give some money and get more money back. If you give to the Lord, then you will get unexpected checks in the mail and refunds from the IRS. If you faithfully give, then you will get that promotion. Your car will never break down. Your 401k will earn an extra 2% every year. And you will never pay retail price for anything. (laughs) Give with your right hand. Receive with your left hand. But Christian giving is not to be motivated out of a love for money. Give it all up so you can get a little more is not the message of God's Word. We should not give as some sort of an investment scheme that will lead to greater stores of earthly wealth. Rather, Christian giving is to be a tangible means by which we continually experience the blessing of obedience to God. We see that it is a far greater value to give then anything a few extra dollars will buy us at Walmart or on Amazon. You see, Christian giving is about trust. Not trust that God will give you more money, but rather trust that God is the one who supplies for all your needs and not your bank account. Objectively speaking, from the eyes of the world, you will have more money and more goods if you choose not to give sacrificially to the Lord. Yet the one who trusts in his money will be a much poorer man 
than he who trusts in the Lord to provide. You see, if you dedicate to give, to give as a Christian, your financial future will be radically changed. For there is never enough money to satisfy your cravings in this world. Yet to those who trust the Lord, they will find that He will meet all of their need in Christ Jesus. Yes, there will be less money, but you will be far more better provided for. The Lord will provide what you need. And sometimes what you need might be money. And the Lord might bring that unexpected check in the mail to provide for you. Or other times you might need a job. You might need a home. You might need a car. But most of the time, what we need as Christians is not more money. What we need is a tangible expression that we trust our God to provide. So what I want to do this morning is to give you ten points from God's Word about what it means to be a Christian. Pastor Ron said, ten points, that's a lot for a communion Sunday. I said, well, I had a hundred, but I decided just to tithe on them. So hold on as we go through. You see, because tithing might mean less money in your bank account but it will lead to a much richer experience of God's faithful provision in your life. So first, the first and most important lesson about Christian giving is that it must be done in relation to the Gospel. That is, giving must be based on trust in the work of Jesus Christ alone. Look at verse 9 of your text. There we read, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. As the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church and their call to give, he bases his charge upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in their own lives. For we know that the Lord possesses all the wealth of creation, All physical and spiritual goodness belong to Him. He is the fullness of God Himself, pure and holy and full of life. However, the Lord's love for His people motivated Him to take upon Himself the poverty of this world. He left the fullness of heaven to experience the need of this world. And so He was born to a family that was physically poor, He experienced what it was like to be hungry and tired and without a place to lay his head at night. And not only did he take on physical poverty, but he also took on spiritual poverty. For he went to the cross and experienced the greatest poverty ever known to man. For he took upon himself the sin of the world. He who was without sin became sin. He who was full of the riches of life took on the poverty of death. And he who knew the height of abundance and blessing in his relationship with the Father took on the depths of God's wrath and judgment for sin. You see, Jesus was rich, but he took on poverty so that we might be rich. So that the wealth of his holiness and life could be given to us who were poor. You see, we have to start here if we are to understand giving. 
all blessings and graces that we receive from the Lord, both spiritual and physical, do not come from ourselves, but they flow from the grace that was given to us out of the bounty of Christ's wealth. For there is no true and lasting wealth outside of Him. And no matter how much money we have on earth, spiritually, all who are outside of Christ are in abject poverty. And the only source of blessing and wealth is in the grace of Jesus Christ. And until you come to Him in faith, you cannot experience the blessing of Christian giving. You must in faith turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must look to His poverty on the cross as your only source of wealth in this life. That is, you must trust in His work alone for your forgiveness of sin, the canceling of your debt, and your acceptance by God. It's very easy in discussions on giving to either one, be misunderstood, or two, to miscommunicate. To hear or to say, if I give, if I give sacrificially, if I tithe, then my giving will earn me blessings from God. But we never earn blessing from God by our works. It is only through the work and the wealth of Christ that we have any spiritual wealth. And so Christian giving, all that we talk about from here going forth, must flow not from a legalistic desire to fulfill the law of the tithe, but rather from faith in the abundant grace of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. We do not relate to God through the law, but through Jesus Christ alone. Now, from verse 9 of our text, we learn, yes, that our giving must be worked must be based on the work of Christ. But second, we learn that our giving must follow the example of Christ. You might be thinking to yourself, I believe Pastor Weber just implied that the tithe is not a binding law for Christians. And you are correct. I do not believe that the Old Testament tithing laws are how Christians are to relate to God financially under Christ. The law leads to death. The Spirit is life. But please don't rip up your tithe checks right now. For the example given to us upon the cross, the example that we are to follow as Christians is much greater than giving a tithe. It is the giving of a whole life. The financial relationship between a Christian and the Lord is much more radical than 10%. It must be 100%. For God has the right to require of His redeemed people all that they have. For by the blood of Christ He has bought us and we belong to Him. And if He calls us to give all to follow Him, we must be willing to give all to follow Him. We cannot content ourselves with giving in a legalistic and limited fashion. For the example of Christ is that we must surrender all that we have and all that we are to God because through the blood of Christ, He has made us His own possession. You see, we cannot shelter our money from God 
because we fulfill some 10% law that we say, I've given my 10% and therefore God cannot require any more of me. You see, the Word of God lays out for us something much more radical. That all that we have, all that we have been given, belong to the Lord. And if He calls us to give, we must give all. Third, Christian giving must be based on the work of Christ. It must follow the example of Christ. And third, it must be done with joy. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. As Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to give, he points to the example of the churches in Macedonia. You see, the Macedonian churches were extremely poor. And from all accounts, the Corinthians were relatively wealthy. Yet the Corinthian church had failed to fulfill their initial pledge of giving while the Macedonians had given above and beyond their means. Why? Well, as Paul says, their generosity was an overflow of the joy that they had in the grace of giving to God. Later in chapter 9, in verse 7, Paul says, He continues this point. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, compulsion and legalism is not going to result in the giving that God desires from His people. God does not need your money. He owns all the world and the fullness therein. He desires His people to give so that they might experience the joy of giving. To experience in their own hearts what Jesus has taught us. It is truly more blessed to give than to receive. To know that you will experience joy when you give sacrificially above and beyond what you are called to. You see, Christian giving must be joyful. Because it must be an overflow of our trust in God. So Christian giving must be based on the work of Christ. It must follow the example of Christ. It must flow from joy. And fourth, Christian giving must be for the poor. The teaching that we have about giving in large part is centered on this relief effort that I was telling you about as we began this morning. A relief effort for those who were currently poor. Those who would open up their wealth to share with others that Paul might bring this gift to the church in Judea. And so he says in verses 14 and 15 to the Corinthians, Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness, as it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. As good stewards of God's resources, we must be wise in the way that we seek to see poverty relieved in our city and in the world. 
And there are ways of giving that can perpetuate patterns of poverty. However, we must not use this as an excuse to ignore the poor and needy in our world. We must remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ who said, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. And therefore, when we give, we must give with an eye towards relieving the needs of the poor. And yet our giving is not only to the poor outside of the church, but even more to those who are within the household of God. We read in the book of Galatians chapter 6, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The collection spoken of in our passage for this morning is for the churches in Judea. A period of economic struggle had hit the region, and so the Christians from that part of the world were, collecting, were receiving money collected from Christians in other parts of the world. And when we give as Christians, we must give to help our brothers and sisters who we gather together with to worship the Lord. Even as you would help out a brother or a sister in your family that hit hard economic times, so too should we Christians see one another as a household of faith and give sacrificially so that our brothers and sisters who are in need might be supplied by our abundance. Six. Christian giving must be aimed at the advancement of the gospel. We do not believe that the church should neglect the physical needs of the poor. Of course not. However, it is to the spiritual poverty of the world that the church has the greatest wealth to share. And it is to the spread of the good news that Christ became poor that we might become rich. And the church needs her members to give that this might happen. You see, to have Sunday services... To maintain a building, the church needs to be funded. To have a full-time minister, the church has to give. To support local and international missions, we must have the funds to send them. There are many good organizations to which you might choose to give. However, when you give to gospel-centered churches like Rivermont, you are giving to the advancement of Christ's kingdom both here in Lynchburg and around the world. We do not give to a budget, but we give to a mission. And the mission is to see the name of Christ exalted throughout the world. And so when you give, don't think about giving towards the budget. Think about giving towards the mission. The mission of the gospel. Seventh. Christian giving must be in submission. The pattern that we see in the New Testament is that when funds were collected, that they were given to the elders of the church for their wise distribution. To give to the poor, to give within the church, to give to the advancement of the gospel. So we read in Acts 11, So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. See, it's the same situation, right? We're talking about the same situation. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. 
you see the pattern. The money was collected and it was given to the elders that the elders might distribute the money well. That they might distribute it to the poor. That they might give within the church. That they might distribute it so that gospel might go forward. It is not a rare occurrence within churches that people will seek to control the decisions and the direction of a church through their giving. This can be done whether through giving funds with conditions that are not approved by the elders or by withholding funds so that you can have control over the direction of the church. Now, we're not called to give with blind submission in which we have no idea what the church is doing with the funds that are entrusted to them, nor that a Christian is to give to a church that is not using their funds ethically or wisely. However, the Word of God teaches us that there must be a trust of the elders that you have elected to watch over you to direct the money that you give in ways that are honoring and pleasing to the Lord. And so when we give, We are called to give to the Lord in submission to the elders who have been placed over us. Next, the Bible teaches us that giving is to be in proportion to the abundance that the Lord has given. The concept of the tithe is a proportional concept. The more you are given, the more that is required. But all, all are called to give. As we read in verse 12, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. The Lord has called every Christian to give according to what he has. And while we do not relate to the Lord according to the tithe, it remains the standard for proportional giving. That means that we who have received eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ should seek to reach giving at least 10% of the financial resources that God has given to us. To some of you, your financial obligations, though, are such that when I say 10% of your income, you think, what? There is no way. That would be like if somebody came to me and said, God's standard for you, for your fitness, is to run a marathon in under three hours. And I would say, that's not going to happen. That's physically impossible. And you might be thinking that right now. 10%. That just seems impossible to me. But my encouragement to you is that you begin working to change your lifestyle so that you can give proportionately to the Lord. For there is sweet relief and satisfaction. There is joy when you experience the provision of God, when you live on 90% of what you make, it is so freeing not to feel like every dollar that comes into your house belongs to you and to your ability to provide for yourself and your family, but that turning it over to God through trusting and faithful giving that is now placed upon the Lord to provide for you and your children. And in that, you will know the Lord provision in your life. Ninth, if we would discipline ourselves to give, then we must plan to give with regularity. In 1 Corinthians 16, 
when the Corinthians originally dedicated to this giving plan. We read, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now what is Paul saying here? What he's saying is, when you gather on Sunday, right, the first day of the week, when you gather on Sunday, each one is to put money into the treasury of the church so that when I come to collect your offering, I'm not going to have to beg you for this money in a one-time gift, but rather there'll be a generous gift that has been collected week after week after week. It takes planning and regularity to give well. If you feel the Lord's call this morning to begin giving or to increase your giving to a sacrificial level, it will only happen if you plan for it to happen. And that might mean doing your annual budget that includes your giving. That might mean finding the checkbook, pulling it out and making sure you have it ready to go. It might mean signing up online so that you know that it will come out regularly. It might mean that you need to plan to go to the bank to get the cash out. However it is that you are going to give, it's going to take effort and planning and execution. If we merely rely on the Spirit moving us to give then we will not give with regularity. Yes, the Spirit might move in your heart. And yes, there might be a gift above and beyond what you have planned. But to give to the Lord in a faithful way means that we must give to Him regularly. So that we might know the freedom and the joy of seeing the Lord provide for all our needs, even when we have less money. So Christian giving, it must be based on the work of Christ, It must be based on the example of Christ. It must be filled with joy. It must be for the poor, for the church, for the gospel. It must be in submission. It must be in proportion. It must be with regularity. And the final thing that we must understand about Christian giving is that it must be done with a heart of worship. Jesus teaches us, No servant can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And Paul says of the offering by the Philippian church, the gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Giving to the Lord is worshiping the Lord. You see, if it were merely about keeping on the lights and paying salaries, if it were merely about a transfer of funds from one bank account to another, then we would not include it in our Sunday worship services. Yet when we sacrificially give to the Lord, it is a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. For we give not out of obligation, out of legalistic slavery, but rather remembering the gospel. Remembering the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, yet for our sake He became poor so that by His poverty we might become rich. Each Sunday as we've gone through the spiritual disciplines, we've called you to some action. And this morning, the action that we are calling you to is to take the letter that you received in the mail if you are a member that has this 2020 Faith Pledge. 
for you to go home and to spend time praying about, talking about with your wife, with your husband, with your children. What is the commitment that we will make unto the Lord this year? The top part is where you put the numbers and you keep that at home. The bottom part, you tear off and sign and you put it in the collection plate. We don't get to see what you have dedicated to the Lord. What we get to see is that you have faithfully prayed about it and made a dedication to give to the Lord as a Christian in faith based upon the work of Christ, following the example of Christ, filled with joy for the poor, for the church, for the gospel, so that you might know the joy of worshiping our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we come to you now and we pray, O Lord, that you would guide and direct us that we might truly worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray, O God, that you would move in the hearts of your sons and daughters. They might know your faithful provision to them. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.